Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week in this podcast, we tackle an international dilemma. Something's happening on the international stage politically or otherwise, but it is, uh, it's felt here in Australia and there's no one better to break it down. Dr. Keith Souter, three PhDs on international relations, media commentator, has been around for decades. <laughs> Sorry, Keith, didn't want to shine shine a light on your age there, but <laughs> it only enhances your ability to talk about this stuff. Uh, my name's Kate Mack. I produce this as well, but I also have spent a lot of time in TV and radio in my life, uh, producing and also presenting in radio. And I also learn a lot from Dr. Keith in this because there's a lot of stuff that I have no idea that you're talking about that I learn a lot along the way and ask a few questions. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the new age of fire because <laughs> clearly Australia just burned and it was excruciating for the country to watch. Dr. Keith, is this the way of the future? Well, this is an article I've come across uh, by Stephen Pine, who um, has retired from the um, Arizona State University in the United States, and he's an expert on fire. And he's arguing that we're now moving into a new era of fire. So he says that the original era was one that was generated by nature so that you get lightning. And, And most Bushfires in Australia are triggered by lightning. Get a lightning storm and it just sets light to a particular area. Then humans came along and, of course, invented fire, so it gave them the opportunity to cook their own food. It expanded the um, amount of food, nutrients, etc., which they would be able to consume. His argument is that there is now a third age of fire. And the article uh, argues, the article is in um, published by Aeon, and the planet is burning. Wild, feral and fossil fuel fire lights up the globe. Is it time to declare that humans have created a piracine? I'll come back to that word piracine a little later because it's a play on words with Holocene and Anthropocene. So three ages then. One, nature and lightning. Two, humans coming along. They invent candles. They invent cooking and, and fires and burning things. Now he argues that, in fact, there is a third age whereby we are now taking carbon out of the earth and we are burning it. And so he talks now about this sort of third age, the lithic age, where we are now burning up the carbon from within the earth. So the millions of years ago, carbon was stored under the earth in forms of coal or uh, natural gas. And now we are liberating that uh, for our own purposes, and particularly in the last few hundred years. So this is a new type of fire, geologically speaking. And he says that there's also a problem because quite often it is the this third form of fire that causes the problems. He says that the fires that burned in Tennessee in the United States in 2016 and which burnt an entire village called Paradise in California in 2018, started from power lines, right? So it's not candles. It's it's not your cooking and your kitchen fire. It is from power lines. And he says the same thing happened in the Australian state of Victoria on Black Saturday, which was 10 years ago, 2009, where 173 people were killed. 162 died from fire set by power lines traversing the landscape from the Hazelwood power plant, which burned black coal. 
that made it until it was finally decommissioned, the greatest single source of Australia's uh, greenhouse gases. Uh, eventually, the, the open mine itself caught fire. So what he's saying then is that we have moved beyond just going around with candles or lighting fires in order to cook our meals. We've now gone into a, a machine age whereby we can generate a lot more energy by getting at all of this stuff which is stored in the earth, which is oil, natural gas and coal, and that represents a new age of fire. And that sort of feeds into this new era of pyrocene. So pyro relates to fire. So he's saying, look, um, if you were observing Earth from outside, you would say that Earth has entered a new era because of the amount of fire that you can now see on the planet. So in the old days, you would have seen lightning strikes, etc. You might, if you'd had a good enough telescope, be able to see humans going around with candles or lighting little fires to do their cooking, as you would do at a picnic, for example. Now we have got this mass production of energy, which then generates a lot of um, heat and light, and that's this new age of fire, which, of course, is then feeding into all the climate change debate that's going on at the moment as well. But he says that, really, humans have created a whole new era because of this, this mobilisation of fire. So it's a really fast. It's a very fascinating way because let me just—I made a comment about being pyrocene and holocene, etc. This is a debate that goes on amongst the geologists. That the argument is that somehow humans have changed the planet, and we are now in a new era, and it's called the Anthropocene era. So the old era was called the Holocene, recent era, right? So we're talking—you know—we're talking millions of years, thousands of years, etc. This is a really long sweep of history, but. We're now in the Anthropocene, uh, which means that it's created by humans. It's a human era. Uh, the debate it really is not so much about whether or not we've done it, but when did we start doing it? Some people have said that perhaps it was when we invented the Industrial Revolution, that was 1750. Others have said, no, it's 1945, which is the era of nuclear energy. Clearly, we're in a new era, and it's the Anthropocene era that humankind is now shaping the Earth's future. And this fellow is saying, well, perhaps we should also call it the Pyrocene because clearly we're now using so much fire to shape the Earth and so much of what we rely upon comes from fire. We're sitting here in a beautifully air-conditioned studio lit by electric lights. We are a manifestation of this Pyrocene era. But then surely if we look at, because so much of it, as you said, it's quite archaic when you look at fire. So we are moving away. Like if you look at solar power and you look at all the other ways it's going to start generating power, is it a strong argument to say that we could be moving into this era of fire? Because it feels like there are other factors that are contributing to the fire sort of argument. But you know what I mean, Ken? Yeah, the, the importance of solar and alternative energy, absolutely. This would be a way of trying to reduce the impact of that third era. The only problem is people are saying you cannot rely sufficiently on solar, wind power, tidal power to keep a modern city ticking over. Now, I'm a supporter of wind power, etc. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fully on board, but also I recognise that you need to have what's called the base level power, which comes from coal. You've got to burn that coal just to keep stuff turning over, as we are in this building, right? Look at how vulnerable we are. If the, if the lights go out in this building, okay, there's emergency lighting, 
but we will need to leave the building by going down the steps. Luckily, you and I are able-bodied. But Mm. if you were trapped in a wheelchair, for example, you would not be able to get out of this building. And the, the windows are sealed, and so you wouldn't even be able to get fresh air coming in. That's the risk that we run, that we live in a very energy intensive lifestyle and we cannot simply rely upon wind power or solar power. I'm, as I say, I'm a supporter of wind power and solar power, etc. But at the moment, we just do not have enough to guarantee that what's called base level energy. And that's why we will continue for the foreseeable future to be using coal. Australia's got 600 years supply of good quality coal. It'll be bad for the environment, but if you want to have your standard of living, Kate, then you're going to have to use some of that coal. And this is what all the politicians have been saying in light of the bushfires the last couple of weeks, uh, en masse, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking about the age of fire today, which is quite an interesting sort of theory in itself, Keith. Um, It's the theory that mankind is more reliant on fire now than any other time in history. And this is, you know, dating back to thousands of years when cavemen were using fire, when you look at the way we're using it now. Mm. So that's indicating that we'd have more sorts of fires and bushfires and all sorts of ramifications. Yes, Keith? Absolutely. And that, and that is what he's warning us about. And, and he's produced this global survey. The person I'm talking about is um, Professor Stephen Pine um, of the Arizona State University, where he's emeritus professor. And he's written a book called Fire, A Brief History. And so what he's looking at is the way in which humans have used fire to really modernise their life, make it much more comfortable. Samuel Pepys, who was a diarist in England, uh, uh, writing in the 17th century, in one of his diary entry, talks about the problem of trying to light a candle. So he's writing his diary at night and the gust of wind blows out the candle and he stumbles around his house looking for a way to light that candle again. So much of his time is taken up. We just try to find a way of lighting his candle. And yet we take that for granted. We walked into the studio today, just turned on the lights. We've just taken all that for granted. Our life is so much more convenient. Samuel Pepys would really love to be alive today for the, for the sake of electricity, which we now take for granted. And so Stephen Pine is is arguing that um, humans have created this new era, which is far more energy intensive. Yeah, so what other um, ramifications does he talk about, Keith, in terms of if we continue down this path, what does he say will be the biggest issues the world faces? Well, I, I would say that how we handle fire is certainly going to be a major issue for us and how we can also develop alternative energy, reliable sources of energy. These are major issues for politicians to address. The problem is a lot of them are sort of short-term thinkers in terms of politics, and we're talking about a long-term infrastructure project. We're talking about the next election from their exactly. perspective. <laughs> exactly. Whereas um, if you if we're looking at major infrastructure here, there is an argument, which we're getting now from the, the Governor of the Bank of England, a for outgoing Governor of the Bank of England, who has said that the next big leap forward in economic activity will be in reshaping the economy for a, a solar energy, alternative energy economy. The very interesting argument, this is going to be the new leap forward. You know, we're very concerned. If you look here here in Australia, we obviously rely on the export of, of minerals and we rely on the export of coal. 
also we can pump up the economy with housing bubbles. We're doing that again at the moment. But um, Mr Carney, the outgoing Governor of the Reserve Bank of England, has said that if the earth were to start refashioning itself for an alternative economy, that's where you could generate a lot more jobs. So you reduce your vulnerability by putting in more solar power, more wind power, more tidal power, generate more jobs, and also make your own house far more resilient. At the moment, we're very reliant upon the supply of electricity over long distances, whereas ideally you'd really want to have a solar collector on your own roof and all the methods of generating power within your own house, not be reliant upon these distant power lines. Because as this fellow points out, when these distant power lines come down, they are the single major cause of wildfires in America or here in Australia. So in other words, that the long-distance power lines have somehow got to phase them out and try to make your own home far more useful, resilient in today's society. In this huge building, I wonder if we've got solar energy collectors on the roof, for example. Think about the amount of solar energy which is falling on the roof as we speak today. Are we making the most of that? And also perhaps um, one idea has been that we make roads solar energy collectors. So as you drive along, you can actually draw the energy out of the roads. Well, that would make sense. I wonder how you do it, though. Well, if you start putting money into these things, it's amazing what you can achieve. At the moment, we're so... This is why, you know, the United States, we rely so much on private enterprise. If they think they can make a dollar out of it, they will. If they can't, they won't bother. Whereas at least in China, they are saying we are are very aware that of the 20 most polluted cities in the world, 16 are in China. We have a growing middle class that's rebelling against all this pollution. We need to have cleaner cities. We want cleaner energy. And we've got the money to ensure that we can now, and also the scientists. The Chinese produce more scientists each year now than the United States. They're producing more patents each year than the United States. So in the fullness of time, the Chinese are going to gear up for a new solar economy and and move us, hopefully, into a safer era where we're not quite so vulnerable to bushfires and other natural disasters. What are they spending their money on in terms of renewable energies, Keith? What do we know about the renewable energy infrastructure and what they're investing in? Oh, wind power and solar power. They are going down that track. The problem is it's a very energy-intensive lifestyle, which they've now got as they try to industrialise. And also that kind of energy requires a huge amount of land. Yep. They've got quite a bit of land. So that's what they're working on. And so I think that I don't want to be praising the Chinese too highly because things always seem to go wrong in China because of corruption. (laughs) But nonetheless, they do provide an example of what Mr Carney is saying, that if we're going to retool our economy, he's obviously thinking about the British economy, if we're going to retool the economy, then we've got to think about it completely differently and move far more adventurously into this area of alternative energy and you know, wind power, solar power, etc., and try to avoid the implications of this new age of fire that Professor Pine is warning about, the risks that we've got about being of liberating so much carbon from the earth 
and putting it into the atmosphere. And then you end up with all the climate change debate that goes on, plus the actual movement of energy across the landscape may itself cause problems if the power lines come down. Look at these fires that are so forceful that we've just seen in the last couple of months across Australia that had their, were generating their own weather patterns, Keith. They're yeah. that severe that we've never seen like things like that before. That's right. Exactly. And they're seeing it not only in Australia. You know, we've seen them also in California and parts of the United States and no doubt in Canada as well. So at the moment there is a, a global awareness that we're moving into this new age of fire and a handful of people are beginning to raise concerns about it. That's why I think it's important for us to try to get our heads around this new age of fire and yet be willing also to support people like Mr Carney, the outgoing Governor of the Reserve Bank of England, who, if you like, is providing the alternative point of view or complementary point of view, saying, let's develop alternative energy sources. Let's, let's, in effect, avoid the dangers of the age of fire by going into a solar age. And and very quickly as well, Keith, how can we, how can the Australian people um, put pressure on the government? And we have seen a lot of pressure recently, especially in the aftermath of those bushfires, but how can each individual put pressure on the government if this is what they feel passionately about and moving toward these renewable energies how, how can we change the discourse here? Well, you've just got to lobby the politicians. It's interesting. I, I, when I served on the Foreign Minister's Advisory Committee, we had a, had a particular issue that was being debated and um, a public servant said, oh, we're being deluged by letters from constituents. They'd received 20. Yeah. Now, in today's era of email, you can send out far more, but, you know, 20 genuine letters <laughs> constituted a deluge on a foreign issue, on a particular issue. So it just shows that, you know, if people want to get engaged they can change the narrative and we will have the politicians scrambling to find alternative ways of trying to organise society. And make the effort. That's the big the one. Make the effort because a lot of people don't bother, as you said. Exactly. And it's worth bearing in mind that of the top 20 TV programmes in Australia, 17 are on sport and three are on cooking. So our type of current affairs programmes don't get much for looking. And so that's why we've got to keep warning people in this podcast series because they're going to get information here that they're not going to get on their normal TV and radio programs. Exactly what I was about to say, Keith. This is the benefit of your show. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.